welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning and welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you've decided to spend an hour with us today. I have a great episode for you. It is with new author and podcast co-host, Kristen Kill. Kristen is a co-host of the popular podcast with Sally Clarkson, At Home. She's a mom of five, and her new book, Finding Sayla, is all about finding the peace in your busy, hectic life. She has lived all over the world and realized in different seasons that it was just not feeling good. It was not feeling right. And in the hustle and bustle, especially of living in New York City with her little ones, yeah, all crammed into 1,100 square feet, she really realized something needed to change. The pace, the freneticness, everything needed to change. And so as she dove into the scriptures and as she sought out more moments of pause, which according to the Bible is the word Selah, that is what she found was life-saving for her. So if you are feeling caught up in the whirlwind of motherhood, of life, of the to-dos, this is the episode for you. So let's get to it with Kristen Kill. All right. I'm so thrilled to be talking with Kristen this morning. Hi, Kristen. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Oh, good. Oh, good. Where am I speaking to you from today? I am coming at you from Oregon this morning, just outside of Portland, and I'm seeing the sunshine for the first time in several days. It's really great. That is awesome. That is so great. I've never been to Oregon, but I've heard it's just beautiful. It is. You know, it does rain a lot, but everything is so blue and green that it's still pretty all the time. I'm sure. It's just a different look, a different type of beauty. That's awesome. Well, I am really so thrilled to be chatting with you about your very first book, Finding Sayla. Is that how you say the word? You know, I have started to say it interchangeably. Okay. I think I find that it's really regional, whether okay. people say Sela or Sela, mm-hmm. either one works. Okay, awesome. I have a friend who named their daughter Sela, my old voice teacher. Obviously, she loves music, and so Sela means musical pause or a pause, yes. and and that is a word that she loved, and so she named her daughter Sela. So that's how oh, I, I say it. <laughs> I have met a few people that have named their children this name as well. Really? And, um, yeah, it's really fun. It's, cool. it's sweet because I think there's so many people who have, um, you know, just just a connection to this word, and that's what's been fun about having a springboard into, you know, writing about it because mm. because it means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, and for people that aren't as familiar with, familiar with the word, by the end of this, you will get how this fits into your life. So, will you please just give a little background on yourself and your family? Sure. So I am um, a mom of five. My youngest just turned one this fall. My oldest is a senior in high school. She's actually graduating a year early, so she's nearly 17. And I've got a bunch in between. And my husband and I have been married about 18 years. And we are um, living in Oregon now, but we spent about seven years in New York City. And a lot of this um, 
book is about our family history in sort of figuring out and navigating what it looked like to have peace in my heart and in our home when our life externally was really busy and rushed and, you know, we were right in the center of, of a place that feels a little bit crazy sometimes. Um, personally, I have been a writer for a while and I am an editor at The Better Mom, which is a really neat contributing mom blog. Um, and then I also have a podcast with Sally Clarkson um, that I help co-host maybe once or twice a month. And we um, just are really passionate about um, pouring into the hearts of moms and mm. equipping them for parenting and for loving on their kids and seeing who they are in their own identity in Christ and letting that overflow um, become a part of who they are as moms. And so so I love to write, and I've been sort of present online in those ways, but this is my first book, and it's really special and fun. It's it's such a joy to get to share our family story and just sort of all the ways that God has renovated my own heart, you know? Mm, yeah, and I, what I love about it is that it is memoir-ish, um, and, and you did a lot of research scripturally and everything like that, but what I love really about it is that there's no, like, huge climax in the story it is just a transformation of your heart and I think we all have that sometimes we think we don't really have a story to share because we haven't had the cancer diagnosis we haven't lost a child we haven't you know there's a few things like those major things that kind of set us up for sharing our story and if we don't have that we kind of feel like well I'm just a mom but I really truly believe that each one of our stories is is orchestrated by God, is meant for us, and is worthy to be shared. And as you self-reflect and really work on yourself to be the best version of yourself so you can be contributing to this world that we're so blessed to live on, that is the story, and that is big. Yes, that is so true. That reminds me so much of what I felt like when I was growing up. I was I don't remember a time when I wasn't walking with the Lord. Um, I was raised in a Christian family and just had this sweet, very idyllic childhood where my own imagination for God was opened wide, where I I truly have no memories of not having a personal relationship with Christ. And there was a point in my life where I thought, I don't have a dramatic testimony. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have a, you know, a turning in my life where you can see the evidence of God in this powerful way. And I, I struggled with that a little bit as a teenager and a young adult because I wanted something dramatic and really the sweetness of, I think for all of us who are Christian moms, like we want our kids to know Jesus early in their lives to walk with them every day in all the stages of their development. Um, and so being able to see that in my own life and go, you know, this is actually a really sweet thing to know that God has walked with me. And yes, there's been such, there's been, you know, seasons of grief and difficulty and transition, but God's presence has always been there and his relationship has always defined who I was. And it's, it's been, you know, as my relationship with him has grown as I've grown and matured, but it is, it is so wonderful for moms to know that, that God's power and presence and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are there in every moment of every day, mm-hmm. especially, I think, even in the things that feel mundane. Because we live in a world where everything is, wow, and look at this, and I'm doing <laughs> this amazing thing. And I think a lot of moms can feel that 
that their lives are minimized, that their the holy work of their lives is minimized because it might feel small mm. in the world's eyes. Where I think that that actually has the capacity to open our hearts up to something that is so vibrant and so big and it actually requires quite a bit from us. So. Oh yeah. We have to endure those seasons. And I think especially, you know, yes. when you're in the throes of toddlerhood and your world feels very small, your you know, your life is dictated by nap time and sweeping Cheerios and you know, it yes. feels like am I ever going to emerge from this hole? Like it, you just feel mm-hmm. the weight like this is how it's always going to be. But that is not true, and you're a testament to that. Like, you have teenagers and kids graduating from high school, and you are a first-time yes. author. All the work, so all your life's work doesn't have to <laughs> be done in sometimes. your 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we go from sort of one moment to the next, and, you know, we're filling out the fast, the form, and then I'm like, wow. oh, gosh, it's nap time. And <laughs> right. Do we do a nursery rhyme? And what else do I need to do for the stage today? And totally. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Totally. Well, will you go back to early motherhood for you? Like, what were those early days like when you just had your first yeah. one or two little babies? Oh, what gosh, was that like? she's going to make me cry because mm. she's going to leave home in, like, six months, you know, and I'm yeah. about to totally lose it. But, um, <laughs> So I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to stay home with my kids. Um, and then I I, um, I loved being, being in a position where I was able to do that and loved being with my daughter. But I struggled so severely with postpartum depression. And it was absolutely like a sucker punch and a complete shock to me because um, I'd always assumed that when people talked about depression or postpartum specifically, that it meant that they were having trouble, like, attaching to their baby. Mm. And I think it can't express itself that way for a lot of moms. For me, it was like, I just loved her beyond belief. I wanted to hold her and be with her all the time. And then I just couldn't stop crying. Mm. And, um, and I found that the way that I kind of dealt with that was to just sort of compart- begin compartmentalizing and hiding away who I really was and what I was really dealing with and just sort of posturing and posing as what I thought the expectation culturally was for me as a mom. I was very afraid to talk to people about how I was really feeling and um, the pain that I was enduring. And it was hard to express because my life looked beautiful. I had this sweet daughter, this wonderful husband. I was home. It was just, there were so many sweet things. It almost, I felt guilty saying that I was struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a really long time to feel safe enough to talk to people about that and to talk to the Lord about that. So I, I took on this this sort of exterior, I'm, I'm fine, you're fine, let's just play and have wonderful play dates, and I would be exhausted, and people would leave, and I would just bawl my eyes out, and wow. it was very secret, wow. and, um, and it was also at a time, you know, 17 years ago, it was before postpartum depression was as defined as it is now, and um, it was, it really was um, on the fringe of medicine for moms. I remember when I had my second daughter because because postpartum depression, if you've had it once, you have a 50% more likelihood of having it again. So I was very, very proactive with my second child about finding doctors that would really treat it medically. And I interviewed four separate OBs. So just three years after I'd had Hallie about 15 years ago, and they all said, oh no, you just need a walk and a good nap. 
Like, mm. no one was treating it. Wow. Um, and then there were some tragedies nationwide, and it got some more attention. And it started to be, you know, now you can't go to the doctor off, doctor's office for your children's checkups without filling out, like, a mental health questionnaire sure. for mm-hmm. yourself as a mom. And that just wasn't the case then. It was something where you were very quiet. Nobody talked about it. Even doctors weren't identifying it as a problem. And it just, it, t- it was a fight to get help. And so I'm so thankful that that's not the case anymore. But because of that, I realized I just had a tendency to hide myself away and to hide myself away from the Lord. And so a big piece of this book is what it looked like to actually learn that I could say anything to God, that I could be honest with him, and that actually within the Psalms, there is a form and a curve to the depth of emotion that he has given us in who he's created us to be. I was really afraid to let the Lord know that I was struggling, as afraid as I was, I think, because I wanted to please him. Mm. I didn't recognize that I could really run to him with all of the pain and all of the hurt and all of the confusion that I felt, the frazzled emotions that I had. Um, It was just a very complicated season. And so I opened up the Psalms and I really realized that there there are Psalms that are just absolutely full of anguish. And then there are Psalms that are full of joy. And I just sort of found my own prayer life and my own way of knowing how to communicate with God through the model of those prayers. And they became a lifeline for me. They gave me permission. They taught me how to feel and how to share what I was feeling with the Lord in a way that really burst wide open um, my vulnerability with him. Mm-hmm. And and to see his response as well um, throughout the Psalms, especially I write about Psalm 91, you know, where he's covering us with feathers like a mother like a mother bird under his wing and you know this is very nurturing maternal picture of God and how he receives us and so a lot of the book talks about that what does it look like to actually pour out our hearts to the Lord vulnerably possibly for the first time or when you feel so complicated in your heart like I did and recognizing the assurance of how you are received by God um because I think when you have a pattern of hiding like I did, it, um, you know, you, you are concerned that you will be rejected if anyone knows the real you, mm-hmm. including the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just really important to meditate on those truths. And that's where Sila came about. Um, you know, this word kept popping up in the Psalms and I was so, um, I was so passionate about reading them at the time that I obviously saw it. It's it's mentioned 74 times in Scripture, 71 times in the Psalms. Hmm. So that's really where it hangs out. And um, and I started to wonder, what's happening here? Every time I see this, I know it's a musical pause. And the Psalms are the songbook and the prayer book of the church corporately. I talk about that as well in um, just kind of digging into church history and how they've been used and um what that means for us but like today and and in our culture but in um but i noticed as well that when that when that word popped up that it was oftentimes um right in the spot where there would be a reorientation of the heart of the psalmist so Mm. there would be you know this this crying out to the lord and then a sila and then an assurance, like, I trust you, you are my fortress, you are the God who has created the heavens and the earth, and, and I thought, you know, that's interesting, I, when I experience rest, when I have a pause, 
um, I feel different. When I have a nap, I feel different. When I go on a walk, I feel different. When I take in beauty and art or great food, it does something in my spirit to bolster my confidence in the Lord, to be able to enter into the delight and enjoyment that God has given me. And so um, I started to sort of use that as an analogy in my life of how I could experience the delight of God the rest of God and the interlude is another word that Sila is often interpreted as, um, which is a bit of a diversion off the past, you know, mm-hmm. before you come back into whatever it is that you're enduring. And so, so it's, um, it served as a springboard for just that idea in my life of how I could experience rest right in the middle of everything else that was going on. Wow. That is so beautiful. And, and I love what you're saying about how, the, this this ability for you to get closer to God, to really realize, like you believed your whole life, but to really feel like you could be vulnerable before him and go to him yeah. with anything. It took this major trial. And most people would, you know, say, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. That was such a hard time. Depression is so debilitating. And it, and it is. But the way that the Lord would put that into your life at a time where he knew this was your next step, Kristen. Like he knew. Yes you are going to stay at a certain point in your relationship with him and even in your own self-awareness if you are not forced into vulnerability and and, and reaching that precipice of, I've got to do something else. Like, I can't keep going just with this pit in my stomach and this inability, right. you know, to, to not cry on a, you know, in the aisles of Target. You know, I've got to right. get control of this. So it's what so needs true. to happen? And it, mm-hmm. it's hard because, you know, we would, wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world without any suffering, without any, I mean, we know that God is for us and with us and he wipes away every tear, Mm. but there is something about entering into seasons that are so difficult that define us because I think that it shifts our understanding of what abundance is, what our portion is, Mm. and it's him. It is, it is him. And so to be able to experience more of him, it often comes at the cost of having other things stripped away through circumstance, through illness, through whatever it may be, but it reveals the best portion for mm. us oftentimes because wow, it reveals yeah. more of Jesus. And that is absolutely painful and difficult and requires lament and requires wise people that can walk with us and understand, you know, the difficulty of what we might be going through, but also allowing that work to, you know, take root in our lives. Um, it's complicated, that whole process of sanctification, but yes, I am so thankful for it. Um, right. Just because I wouldn't know him in the same way. And I can't imagine having, um, a relationship that wasn't as full of depth and vulnerability in, you know, to not have walked through that would mean so much less in my life now. Yeah. That is really beautiful. Yeah. The earthly pain and earthly emotions that may feel like a lot, but the abundance comes from him and his resources that he's able to dole out to you in those moments of earthly pain and earthly hurt. It is, it is unlimited. You have unlimited resources through that that strength and that power but we right. have but we have to come to him we can't stay hold up thinking we can do it on our own or right. just loving him is enough because we have to let one him love my, us 
Right, exactly. One of my favorite quotes that we had put into a print for the book, it says, don't withdraw, draw close. Because Mm. I think that, I don't know if that is the tendency for every personality, but for me it is. When I feel like I'm totally overwhelmed or I am totally afraid or living with shame or whatever it may be, or just, just tired, I tend to just withdraw mm. and go through the motions or pull away relationally or, um, I mean, with the Lord and with people, I've had to really, really learn that when I have that tendency, that's the time to draw close, mm. to draw close and feed on him and his word, to draw close to other people and say, I'm kind of going to fall apart. Can you, can we rally here? Those are, and it, it requires such bravery, I really believe, to yeah. enter into relationship and community but it has such you know glorious benefits for us on earth with people we love and with the lord and it's just what he's he's just waiting for us often but he also he also initiates and that's the beauty of Mm. of who he is too you know as a parent he's initiating with us constantly and i think that that that's one of the things about finding Sila and finding these moments of beauty and grace right in the middle of every day. And when we moved to New York City, it was sort of like, okay, now I really have to own this, not only in a in a place where everything, ex, you know, externally in my life, the rhythms of my life were very steady and I had, you know, we, we lived in our hometown, we had lots of support, and then we moved to the city where it was so crazy externally and we're going, okay, what does it look like now to actually own this truth of peace in my heart in a place that is wild on the outside, mm, you know? Yeah. What does that really look like? And so um, I think that it works itself out in different ways, but when when I was there, one of the things that really occurred was experiencing all the gifts of beauty and grace and delight that God was giving in small things, in mm. things that I started to recognize as gifts from Him, and that opened that veil a little bit to heaven and to the delight that He wanted to give to me and to, I believe, all people. And so um, there's ways that we can begin to have a practice of recognizing His presence, even in the hard things, um, especially in the hard things, perhaps, that that I just find um, overwhelming that he loves us with that kind of, hmm. um, with that kind of wooing love, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. that he, and there's so many things that we get to experience that like we were just talking about Oregon and the beauty here, like just that we have a God who has created a space for us to just inha- literally inhale beauty all the time. And um, it's just awe-inspiring to me. I'm mm. so, so thankful. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And did you feel like in that season of New York City and that was just another opportunity for you to have it like smack you in the face? Like, Kristen, yes. you need to get this right. Like, have I not taught you yet? Totally. Like, here's your chance. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's what it is all the time, right? It's mm-hmm. by degrees. Like, mm-hmm. we learn, we're learning how to walk with the Lord and there's this, you know, there's a margin, there's space for us to um, be able to grow in our hearts. And then usually something is kicked up externally where yeah. we have to sort of own our part in that. And then, you know, we get to go through more seasons where there's margin and space and maybe seasons of waiting. And then, 
you know, seasons that stretch our capacity even further. And so I think that happens over time in our lives, Mm. in all the different things that we're doing, whether it's particular things that we're being called to um, that feel wild and impossible to us, whether it is seasons where we're being called to be faithful in the mundane Mm. and trust trust that God's kingdom vision is, you know, still still reigning in our lives as you know we're obedient to the small things like you were talking about earlier like mm-hmm. the cheerios and the diapers and the nap times like that takes a real um strength of character on our part and a real amount of trusting the lord to be able to serve and sacrifice our bodies our time our space that season of our life for for the sake of our vulnerable children and mm-hmm. as we love them and train them and it can feel absolutely like it will never end yeah. and that it doesn't matter um but trusting god that those things matter mm-hmm. in that season that he's called us to um requires you know a lot of our of our character and our capacity and i never in a million years could have thought i could have five children and not totally fall apart and now when I even have like two of them out of the house, I feel like I'm on vacation. I don't even know what's going on <laughs> with my life. And it's funny, but you know, when I, you, yeah. know, you don't learn it all at once, mm-hmm. it happens over time. Like when you first have a baby, it does feel overwhelming and it's such a shift. And then you have two and you adjust to that rhythm and then you have three and whatever it looks like. There's so many things that we go through that, um, you know, continue to grow us in our strength and our capacity. Yeah. To where it's so phenomenal, right? When you look back on the things that God has brought you through and the things that you have been able to sort of conquer and walk in faithfully with him. I mean, what a legacy and a life to be able to look back and realize what you have done and been empowered to do that maybe you thought was impossible. Even just the season of toddlerhood. I mean, that I think the fact that I have emerged from that with four kids mm. is so amazing yes. to me. Like I look at now I have a toddler again, you know, and I I don't know how I did it with more than just one. And with, I have all helpers. Like all my other kids are, you know, nine years there's nine years between he and the next in line. Oh, wow. So everyone's helping and just incredible with him and I don't know how I did it by myself before. <laughs> but I you do. And I'm you just so buck up. amazed mm-hmm. that we all are alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's so so true. It is you just do what you have to do in that moment and and but we need to stop and take the time to be proud of ourselves for the fact that we yes. are doing it, that we did make it to the grocery store with all three kids in tow and we didn't lose a single one of them. The fact yeah. that, you know, you make it through the end of every day and only kind of maybe lost it one time. <laughs> it's just yes. we need it's to so che- cheer ourselves on a little bit more in that. Yes. And I think that's part of taking these moments too, mm-hmm. like these Sela pauses throughout your day. Like Sila is this idea of a pause and a rest that is very spiritual and I believe directs us right to the heart of God to be able to see him as our rest and as our Sila ultimately in the person of Jesus. But it's also small things throughout our day where we can intentionally um, really own our lives to be able to say, I'm going to take a moment right now and pause and enjoy and embrace the beauty that God has given me in this mm. moment, even if it's for 15 minutes. And okay. I'm going to look at what he's given around me. I'm going to be awake to the gifts of my life. Um, 
and and enjoy them and not just let them, you know, pass me by while I'm in a fog. Mm. And that changes the way we look at our lives, too. It's funny. We were reading something recently about our children. I wish I'd known this before I read the book, but it was about how children really um, relate to, like, they, they, they need the memories, right, that we're giving them, like, the stability, the things we're doing. But when they're able to talk about the things that they've been through and the memories that your family has, either through a photo book or, you know, you tell family stories and you talk about the things that you've done together, it actually changes the way that they, you know, it shapes their memory and their narrative about your family life. Mm. So it's important to have those pictures, like, to look at and say, remember when we did this? And, oh, I I remember when you were going through this phase where you would giggle every time we would, you know, say the word puppy or whatever it might be, like something silly, where you're sort of telling them and narrating that story and identity of your family. Um, and or when journaling, journaling has the same effect. When you journal something, um, it actually allows you to sort of process your life and your days in a different way. It slows down the rhythm for you in some way so that you can be fully engaged in those moments. And I think that SELA moments are in that same category. Like when we're able to take a moment and say, I'm intentionally going to reflect on the things that God has given me. I'm going to enjoy him through taking in art, music, a walk, a sweet cup of tea, pulling up my child next to me and intentionally reading a story that we love. It could be those simple things as well as just moments of prayer throughout your day. It changes the way that we feel about our days Mm -hmm. and that we feel about our lives and the story that God's writing in our hearts. Who doesn't want that? (laughs) Right? Who doesn't want that? But it's just the how. And I love that this book and what you're talking about right now are kind of providing the how. So will you just give me a little insight into, okay, what's happening preceding the moments of Sila for you? So what might be happening in your day-to-day and then it clicks, I need this space, I need this pause, and then what happens? Can you kind of illustrate that for us? Yeah, sure. So I actually homeschool all of our kids. So everybody is home, and it is mayhem, of course, (laughs) because there's five people. Uh We just moved, and our new house, my husband has a home office. So there's seven of us, and it is crazy town. So we, I found that it's really been helpful to establish, like, rhythms of our day where we just have times where the kids know every afternoon mom is going to sit in this chair or go to her room and read or um take a minute and I at certain seasons would turn on a show for my kids or I would include them in just it would you know when they were napping it was different but today for instance it will be that I will probably wait until the baby goes down for a nap I'll let my other kids know, okay, I'm going to go and just have a little moment. And I usually have some sort of snack or a piece of chocolate that I keep on hand so that I can just go and have a cup of tea and just seriously, I sit and I read. Mm-hmm. Or Because for me, that is really refining and, and helpful. I love, I love, love, love hand lettering. I'm not anywhere near a cool. skill where I could ever, you know, be a hand letterer but I love the rhythm of handwriting and doing cursive like writing out scripture writing out a quote um sometimes I'll put it on a I keep pretty cards from paper source in my office and I will jot them down and put them around the house or tuck them into an envelope and send them to a friend Mm. or whatever that 
has that just feels beautiful to me and sort of grown up to me. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids and I will sometimes, depending on the weather, like just all go out together and take a walk. Or um, I got in the habit when we lived in New York City of going out for a bike ride or a run uh, every evening when my husband got home from work or every other evening. Because um, sometimes I need that to be alone, you mm-hmm. know, just away. Um, so there's there's different things that I just have found I really enjoy. Um, music, poetry, a really good mystery novel, things like that are just just make me filled up. And I, I've talked a little about this um, with the publicity of the book, but one of the things I think to re- remember is that when you take those moments, they can be as varied as all of us are. Like they are as, as different as every human that God has made. But the defining factor, I think, is that when you emerge from a moment of rest and pause, you're able to to have an overflow of what God is pouring into you, into those around you. So whether you are, mm. you know, steeping yourself in God's word, whether it is, you know, which that does need to be a part of our daily life as believers. So maybe that's the time where you get a quiet time in the afternoon or in the morning early before your family wakes or whatever it may look like. But when we are, when we're able to sort of get away and enjoy the gifts of God, I think that a mark of doing that well or, or having that happen in our lives, however it may look, is that we can't wait to share it with other people. Mm. That even if we're introverts, we are experiencing this overflow of God's grace and goodness where we then are able to live outwardly focused lives. Mm. So um, it's not just an escape just for us alone, but it revives our hearts so that we're able to, you know, go back into the mundane, go back into the things God's calling us to do. You know, um, it, it revives, just gives us a breath of fresh air to go, you know, to be a part of the mission and the calling that he's given us, whatever that might be for each one of us. Um, I, I so it really lo- I can look that. different. Yeah, and, and what I love about what you're saying that's a little different than what I think is I kind of wait to have those moments of respite when I'm totally burned out. Like, oh, yeah. like I'm like, okay, mama needs a timeout, like, or else I'm going to blow, you know, and then right. I remove myself. I but I love that you're scheduling. Well. I had one mm-hmm. yesterday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. that's good to know. <laughs> I, I do have those, but I think that that sort of, that's the shift, right? Like a mental shift to go, okay, I know that. I think for me, I was running toward the weekend, running toward vacation, running toward yeah. um, escaping my life instead of realizing that I wanted my starting place to be rest uh-huh. so that I was, so that I could build those moments into my life in increments all the time so that I could enjoy who God was and be able to pour out that to my children because otherwise I get there every single day. I just do. And and I guess I'm guessing most moms do. Maybe maybe there's moms that can go a little longer than me, but um I found that, you know, I know I'm gonna run on fumes and I want my children to have the overflow of of what God's doing in me instead of you know, rushing because I'm absolutely falling apart every day. One thing I do too is is really include my children in some of this as well. Okay. Um so there's simple things like we we just do silly things around our house that make us feel 
like it's beautiful. Like we always light candles, even in the summer at dinner time. And it's really funny. My my son, who's almost twelve, will like lose it if we don't have the candles lit. He's like, "Oh my gosh, stop! We can't pray. You didn't light the candles." Like it's just a Aww. funny tradition and a part of our family culture now. But what when I started doing that when they were all really little, I would say, "Let's just have a beautiful table," and it could be like macaroni and cheese, but it would set a stage of like expecting and having an appetite for beauty Hmm. or um you know including them in reading poetry with me or reading stories with me or you know talking about what God has made and be the beauty of nature when we go on walks it really is this very simple practice of just you know noticing all of those gifts and all of the rest that he's given us and the beauty he's given us because I really think that when we start to crave beauty and crave rest what we're really craving is Jesus and Mm. so to be able to sort of invert that and say I want beauty and I want rest because I want him and to recognize the root of that longing is a really key thing but we have to also have our children have an imagination and a capacity to see you know to see those things and want more of them because that's setting up their hearts to be able to crave him Hmm. oh wow that is so so powerful and it really makes me think about how we can all order our day so that we're you we're really utilizing our energy and our emotions and our attention in in the right time frame because even if I'm, you know, I'm burned out with the kids, so then I escape and I go into reading scripture. If I go in with kind of an anxious, angry, depleted heart, what's the quality of that going to be? But if I started out my day with that and I felt such love and abundance and, and strength and peace from that, then I greet my children hello, like (laughs) that is, that is life altering. And if you went into, you know, going on a run, not to run from your children, but to run towards your goal or to, you know, run towards that freedom, then that is much different. So I think we really have to think about the intent with which we approach even that rest and that pause. Yeah, it's really true. And, Mm -hmm. you know, every one of us gets to a point probably every day where we kind of want to fall apart. Like when you're able to sort of look at your days and say, where are those spots where I am always just about to lose it? For me, it's always between like four and six o'clock when the, you know, I live up in Oregon. So in the winter, the sun is setting, you know, at four 30 or five and it's getting dark and dinner needs to be made. And usually the baby's waking up from a nap at the same time and, kids are hungry or finishing homework, whatever it might look like, I naturally feel stressed out then. Mm. So what can I do to make that time, like if I know that about myself every single day, what can I do to prep before then? So that's why Uh for me, that time about three o'clock when I'm home, and if I, if I've been out doing errands or needing to pick up kids from things, I just sort of, we usually have dinner a little later and I'll just take a half an hour to just restore first because mm. otherwise I'm barking at everybody while I'm getting dinner going or feeling so overwhelmed that I'm, you know, going to totally fall apart. But there's really? those, I think if we all take a moment and look at, at those spots throughout our week and throughout our day, we can all, we can all find, you know where those places are that we're having, you know, we hit some bumps. Yes, bingo. And so then Mm -hmm. then prepare for them. Yes. You know, for us, we actually, 
use a meal service called HelloFresh. I, I love HelloFresh. Yes, I do. <laughs> and we, yeah, I guess like, I mean, maybe they'll sponsor your podcast. They're so great. <laughs> but they are, I mean, we have found that that is this, it is like taken off this stress for me of what do I make for dinner tonight? And mm. um, it's wonderful whole food meals. We're actually cooking them in the kitchen, but I don't have to gather every single thing or a menu plan at quite the same capacity that I was before. And it just changed our whole life, you know? So I think there's just areas where you can have agency like that as a woman yeah. and a mom to know, okay, this is, this is a place where I need help. This is a place where I need support. This is a place where I need to reach out and be vulnerable and not be afraid to talk about, you know, this is not working. And this is a place where I'm going to start investing in my heart and soul at this time of day or in this way around, you know, around the bumps that you see that are consistent so that you're able to, like you said, not just, you know, we, we, whatever we have in our heart stored up comes out, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Whatever we've invested ourselves in is what comes out. So if it's frustration and guilt and shame and, overwhelm it's coming out at our children and our husbands it just is and so I think that's where this whole idea like you said rest the way that we approach rest is about where we invest our hearts before Mm -hmm. we get to those places because if it is rest and delight and assurance and faith and love um, and beauty those are the things that will come out when we get squeezed in those bumpy times of day. Mm, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. So your book, Finding Selah, what did you learn through writing this book, either in the content of the book or just the process of writing a book? Is there anything that really stands out as your biggest takeaway? Oh, gosh. You know, I think that I learned that there is always a story behind the story oh. of the book, you know? Uh-huh. Um there, this book, I signed a contract to write it before we were ever thinking we would ever leave New York City and before I was expecting my fifth baby. Mm. Um, and, you know, a part of the story deals with loss and miscarriage. We lost two little girls each um, in 2011 and, two, mm. or 2011 and 2012 mm. um, in the second like trimester of my pregnancy. So um, that's a big part of my story, and I never ever thought I could have babies ever again. Um, so it, our son Harris is quite a miracle. Um, actually like physically, I am still in shock that I have a baby. Um, and, and it was really amazing because that grief was a really big piece of this story, right? It was a huge, it was a huge piece of, you know, dealing with grief can feel very similar to dealing with postpartum depression um, in the sense that you have fear, you want to withdraw. I sure did. Um, I had experienced anger and loss and, and it was okay. Now that there's a lot that's been changed in my heart since postpartum depression, what does this look like to run to the, to the Lord with all of these things and to feel really at peace with, you know, our portion. Mm. And so that was a big part of, the way that I pitched the book, the way that I was talking, you know, the way that I was writing and, and, you know, doing, before you write a book, you have to, for your first book, especially, you have to have a whole outline and usually like three chapters written. And so it was pretty wild that once the project had already begun, God chose to restore this huge hurt in my life. Mm. Um, 
with our son. And so my deadline got pushed back and I wrote most of this book, um, in the first three months of his life, like the actual mm-hmm. writing part. Wow. So he was, he was cuddled up. I mean, a lot of it had been written. That outline was there, but my intense writing season was in those first few months of his life. And I still am just at awe of the way that, that the story and the things that God had worked out in my heart work were worked out in my actual life, like as well with just incredible abundance and care and beauty of just the way that he really restored our family in that. And I was really okay not having any more children if that was God's will for us. Like it was a hard thing to sort of end my baby making years with grief. Mm. And so, um, I just, I just still can't get over the way that, um, that God provided for just renewing that joy and, you know, really exchanging like, um, my ashes for beauty in, in, in the life of my son. And so it was really, it felt really profound to write about all of this while we were in the midst of experiencing that gift. What a gift. Gosh, God's timing. And especially when you can look back and be like, all of those little pieces, and I could have never orchestrated that. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think it added a lot of depth as well. Like, you know, um, it was like the story wasn't done. Like the Mm. end of the book I write about um, holding him, and we're looking at, at the snow, and he's a newborn, and a big piece of the book at the end, which um, is all about sort of what it looks like to experience the provision and rest of the Lord and sort of following along with the idea of the Israelites with manna in the desert and and what that looked like to experience, you know, God's provision for their spiritual hunger and their physical hunger. And, and I don't think that I, I, I think that it's just a piece of the book that God knew would be, a part of the story and mm. had to be a part of the story. Um, because I remember distinctly like that last scene that I write about, about just, just seeing snow fall and feeling like that. I wonder if this looks like what manna looked like when God just poured himself out for his people in this way to feed them and nourish them and satisfy them. And, mm. um, and so it just, it just feels really, really special. Um, to That's be cool. able to have written it and to have an ending that is so very different than what I thought it would be. And to have your whole family represented in this it's very true. special book. I yeah, love that. it's really true. Beautiful. I know. I think that, um, you know, it feels really crazy to have written a book in this season of my life. And yet, I think anytime anyone is going to take on something like this, you have to feel like compelled to do it. Like, yeah. I am not obedient if I do not do this thing. Like, this is what God has for me. I can't, I can't not write, I guess. And that's how it felt. And now I feel like it really is an Ebenezer stone, you know, a stone of remembrance for our family of, of what God has done in our lives. And, and, and I hope that that memoir side is, is sweet for them, but it's like you said, it's like a memoir, but it's, we always, we always talk about it as being memoir-esque, like yeah, my right. publisher and I, because a lot of it is biblical teaching and story um, tied into our family story. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's just been just really rich and really sweet. I, it's a book I hope that 
like my own grandchildren and great grandchildren can read someday and say, this is a legacy of who, who Jesus is and who Jesus is to our family. And, Mm. and that's been really, really special. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I will be sure to link Finding Selah on extraordinarymomspodcast.com so people can go check out that book. And it's, is it anywhere books are sold as well? It is. Yeah. yeah it's, it's anywhere books are sold. Yay. You can find it on Amazon and I think it's even on Target.com. Oh, so if you're over there for all that gorgeous magnolia stuff. I know, I know. Pick up a candle and pick up Finding Sayla. Oh, I'm yes. just I'm so happy for you, Kristen. What an accomplishment and what a, just a testament to God's love for you and your family and and I mean it's just representative of what he can do for, for any of us. So I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh, gosh. I would say just be present in every moment and don't feel like you have to rush or worry that you're not doing enough. Just cuddle your babies and and just enjoy being with them. Mm. What a great message. Thank you so much, Kristen, for taking the time to talk to us about your book, about your motherhood journey. It's just been such a pleasure. Good luck with the rest oh, of your promotion so and everything. It was a pleasure. Have a wonderful, okay. wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Doesn't Kristen have the most soothing voice? <laughs> I want to hear her read the telephone book to me. <laughs> Oh, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your motherhood journey, opening up about miscarriage and postpartum depression, talking about having to really pivot in your own life. And I love when she talked about knowing God her whole life, but not feeling close to him like she does now. I believe that a lot of us have been through seasons like that and we can identify with that. And so really reassessing, where are you today? Are you where you want to be with that in respect to feeling peaceful and empowered that you're on the right path? If not, Take a look at your life and see what things need to change and have the courage to do that. I really encourage you to check out Finding Sayla. Um, I'm going to link to that in the show notes at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com so you can pick up that book. It was such a wonderful, wonderful book and I just really enjoyed that memoir-esque type of, of story that she wrote so beautifully. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm announcing the winner of our 100K giveaway today. Thank you so much for giving us so much support and love in January. I hope you'll do the same in February, even though it's a shorter month. Um, I'm just so encouraged that this podcast is finding its way into the earbuds of moms all around the world um, by the hundreds of thousands now. And it's just it's just thrilling to know that moms that may feel isolated and alone are getting that support from these incredible stories, these women, and it is my joy to get to bring those to you. So I hope that the winner is super pumped at noon today, Pacific time, and if you are listening to this on Friday morning, you still have a little bit longer to enter, so go over to my Instagram at jessicadalkwist3. Next week on episode 208, we have a fabulous episode for you. It is with Diana Collins. Diana reached out to me several months ago talking about a huge loss in her life when she lost a dear friend to postpartum mental health issues. It was such a tragedy for her and such a loss and a hole that remains. But what has changed in her life is the awareness she had when she developed her own postpartum um, depression and then also the commitment she had to raising awareness and to empower this movement of women knowing that they are not alone if they are suffering postpartum. 
they are not alone. There, there is help, there is support, and there are stories in your very own neighborhood around you, I guarantee, of women that have been there and that want to help you to know that you are not alone. So she's going to share her story with us, and it is really encouraging and inspiring. And I hope that if you have struggled with that, you'll find some solidarity in that conversation with Diana. So thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.